Let's go, John. We're going to, I'm, I'm covering two different areas. I'm going to tie this all together. My hope today is that we get set free today. John 8, 31. It's up on the wall. If you want to follow there, if you've got a good old-fashioned leatherback book, you just open it up to John chapter 8. Scripture says this. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? Jesus replied, Verily, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Going on to Galatians 5.1, scripture that if you've been to this church any amount of time, you've probably heard me say at one time or another. One of my favorite scriptures in the book says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Today I'm going to talk to you hopefully for a little while. Uh, I hope to get you out of here before 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, I want to talk to you, and the title of this message is The Words We Learned in Egypt. Let's just pray for a minute. So Father... We need you. Uh, there's such a real presence of your spirit today. Father, it's, it's your will that we be different every time we leave this building. And I ask right now that you just come and that you just put us, each of us, in the position we need to be to take the next steps forward that you have for us today. Move as you desire. Let your will be fulfilled in our lives. Let us become the people you created us to be. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, um, as I was rummaging through my several hundred pair of shoes, uh, getting ready, looking in the mirror, make sure I looked like a human being and uh, that you would not uh, be offended in seeing me. I was looking at somebody, myself, that is the composite of the road that has brought me here. I, just like you, am the sum of the experiences. Some of them very good, some of them terrible, that have shaped my life and and caused me to see myself in the way that I see me. And that's true for all of us. As we got together, you know, got ourselves together this morning, and and we were looking at ourselves, the way you see yourself, how you feel about yourself, the, the things that go through your mind as you curl your hair or, you know, pick your shoes is the things, are the things that, that 
are the effect of, of, of the road you've been on. I remember one of those moments in my life that really had a tremendous impact. Something that nobody ever would have thought would have an impact, probably, that was in the room that day. But I was in sixth grade. I was in Mr. Novick's science class. And um, when I was a kid, between, well, really, my entire childhood after fourth grade was kind of somewhat traumatic. And I don't want to sound dramatic. Nothing terrible happened. I, I've, never, um, I've never had real tragedy in my life. I've been blessed beyond measure. Um, but my mom moved us from Connecticut to Wisconsin, and that really, it did affect me. And uh, when I was in fourth grade, I came in to the school in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, at, Ele- at um, Edgewood Elementary School. And my school in Connecticut had not uh, been as one of the better schools in Connecticut, and I was behind. So I was automatically placed in third grade instead of fourth grade, and I had to work my way up. So I felt kind of dumb. And, and then I, I, I was always an athlete. I was always somewhat popular. And, and those things were what was mattering to me, not so much cracking a book, reading. Uh, those things were for people who weren't as cool as I was. And um, I remember in sixth grade not really having done my homework, not having finished my, my reading assignment. And, uh, you know, you go to the end of the, the chapter, and it's asking you questions. That is, that's your homework for the night. And so I wanted to get outside and play, so I just scribbled down some answers. And one of the questions was, why would somebody, why would a young person take, take drugs? And, you know, having not read the assignment, I remember writing, I'm thinking, well, what would be bad enough that would make somebody take drugs? Well, maybe tragedy, maybe they were in an accident and lost a limb. I mean, I don't know. And these are my answers. <laughs> Those are not the right ones, in case you're wondering. Um, so it, time, it came time for class, and I handed my paper to the guy behind me, and, and his name was John Jagler. John was one of my classmates, and we played basketball together and all kinds of stuff. And uh, that day, as they read the answer to the question, um, which was not my answer, I remember John raising his hand because he wanted to know <laughs> if he should mark it wrong or right. And so he proceeds to read my answer in front of the class. And uh, the teacher was like, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's not right. And I remember hearing John behind me say, just under his breath, quietly, stupid. And I can't tell you the effect that that had on me for years. Because the reality of our lives are that we are affected by the words that are spoken over us. We are affected by by the things that people say. Things that maybe they never intended to to harm us. Things that maybe they didn't even know that you heard. But in the whispers of a sixth grader, it marked me. And hurt me. And, and probably to this day, to one level or another, I, I still feel that hurt. It's funny because John, John Jagler today is a very successful politician, actually, in Wisconsin. He's a, he's a state, um, like a state senator. He's not 
the state's senator. You understand what I'm saying? He's a, he's a local representative in the Senate at, uh, in the Wisconsin legislature. He's been very successful. He was uh, on TV for a little while as a reporter. And um, he is still someone I refuse to friend on Facebook. <laughs> Not because I'm particularly angry with him. I just, I, I associate John with a certain level of hurt. And, and folks, what I'm saying is when you, when you think about yourself, how many of us have been in situations like that, that that have hurt us, have left a mark on us? I think if you, if you really answer honestly, the reality of the answer you give would be all of us. All of us have been shaped like that. But what matters? This is the core of the message today. What matters? Does it matter what anybody thinks? Does it matter that, that somebody might criticize you or somebody may not agree with you or somebody might think that you dress weird? Does it matter? The answer is there's one that matters, what he says about you. There's only one. What God says about you is all that matters. That is what we need to hear today. That is who we really are. That is what matters. And it's really that that I want to talk to you about today. Some of us in this room, um, Caroline and her small group, deal a lot with Jewish culture. And um, they, they are uh, very intrigued, I guess would probably be the best way to put it. They are captivated by the culture of the Jews. And that's a good thing um, because they understand that those are the foundations of our faith. And Hebrew is a very interesting language. The history, or I should say the, the place that Hebrew holds in the world of languages is unique because it, it does have some true theological si- significance to it. Um, for those of you who do not know, Hebrew is the language of the Torah and most of the Old Testament. What is interesting, though, is if you listen to rabbis, uh, rabbis would be like a preacher that's Jewish. A rabbi in the rabbinic tradition says that, that Hebrew is more than just simply the language of the Old Testament. They would say that Hebrew is the language of God. They believe that when God spoke the world into existence, he spoke in Hebrew. Now, obviously, if that is true, that carries huge implications to us today about who God is and who God says we are. Now, in that being the case, I want you to, I want to just teach you something, and this is stuff you're going to be able to go to your office tomorrow and blow the minds of everyone around with your incredible amount of knowledge. Are you ready? Especially if you're a farmer, because those cows have never heard anything like this. There is a set of words in the Hebrew language called the segalit words. The segalit words. You know about segalit words? Okay. I was just curious. If anyone knew, Caroline would know. Uh, The segalits are unique because they were borrowed words 
They were borrowed from other languages, from the people around the Jews in their early times of contact as they were forming the language. These, are, these words are interesting because they're borrowed because the Hebrew language at the time that they were, that they were picked up, Hebrew did not have an equivalent for those words. These words are literally foreign words that the Jews brought into their language to be able to express certain ideas. Many of those words, if we trace it back, were actually found in the time that they were with the Egyptians during the time of their slavery. But I want you to understand something. If Hebrew truly is God's words, if Hebrew is God's language, these words are important. Because the segulate words, the words borrowed from other languages, were words that God did not have in his vocabulary for his people. Are you following me? These words, many of them, were words that expressed domination, such as king, or being a slave. The word slave is a segulate word. Or the word for sword, which is a word that is associated, obviously, with violence and oppression. All of these words had to be expressed and borrowed by words that were not Hebrew. These words then have some meaning. Please understand this. The meaning of this, what it means to us, is that these words were never meant to be part of the human vocabulary. God never intended for these things to be part of the experience of his people. These things were the products of our time outside of Eden, outside of relationship with God, outside of peace and wholeness and covenant, and shalom. Egypt in Scripture, folks, is the place of our oppression. It is the place of slavery of God's people. What began as a sanctuary during the time of famine for Jacob and his children became a labor camp where they learned to serve a master other than the Lord. It was Egypt that these proud and noble people learned to be slaves. It was in Egypt that, that God's people learned to worship false deities and, and bow their knee to false gods and, and to esteem their captors more than their creator. It was in Egypt that they lost their faith in the promises that God had made to Abraham to the point that when their deliverer Moses finally showed up, they scolded him. For the inconvenience that he had added to their life by increasing their labors. Instead of rejoicing that God was going to set them free. This is, I believe, important for us to understand. Because this view of themselves as slaves, this, this mentality of this people of Israel, was something that did not leave them when they left Egypt. Even after the incredible deliverance of God, after ten plagues, 
that set them free after the Red Sea parting and, and the greatest army of the world at that time being destroyed behind them. After manna in the wilderness and after the cloud by day and the flame by night and, and God's incredible showing at Mount Sinai and all the things that God did, even after all of that, they did not see themselves as anything more than slaves, as insects at the crawling of the feet of their enemies. We know this because in Numbers 13.33, when Moses had sent spies over to see the land, to see what it was like, and to to give a report of of the kind of promised land that God was going to bring them into. Ten of the spies come back and they say, we can't take the land. There's no way we can do it. And only two of the, the, the spies say that they can. But listen to the words. Please listen to the words of the ten. It says, and we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. What's amazing about their statement is that they saw themselves as insects. They saw themselves as something that would not even begin to rival those incredible, powerful Warriors that were over in the land of their promise. They saw themselves, and, and because they saw themselves that way, they reported rightly and said, well, they saw us that way. You see, it is impossible to enter into the fullness of God's promises for your life while you're still believing that you're a slave. Romans 7, 14 through 17 says this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold under sin. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells in me. Frederick Douglass said this. I didn't know I was a slave until I found out I couldn't do the things that I wanted. It is in slavery, folks, that we are born. That is the beginning of where we live. No matter who your parents are, no matter what kind of faith you were raised in, no matter how you grew up or, or what it was that you, you uh, came to understand. If you've been raised on a pew, you know, there's, there's preacher's kids I've talked to that literally their moms used to put them in, in their little baskets and they'd sleep under the pew. If that's you, I want to tell you one thing. You were born a slave. You were born a slave. You were born a slave to sin. And ever since that day, slavery, slavery has been the thing that in our minds has to one degree or another controlled us. Titus 3.3 says this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Anyone ever been there other than me? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That is the picture of humanity. But I want you to catch the key word. Chris, bring that back up real quick. 
I want you to find the key word in that, that phrase. And it is the fifth word in. It says that we too were. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and enslaved. But we are not that anymore. That is the past. That is the, past, that is the place we come from. That is not where we're called to live. Slavery taught us the extent of our limitations and our boundaries. Slavery dehumanized us, teaching us that our value was based in our achievements, our success, our looks, or any other number of things that, that could be linked to state how good you are, that you actually have value or don't. Slavery taught us that people were things to be consumed to satisfy our desires. Slavery taught us to cower at the crack of a whip when we dare to extend past our previous limitations. That is what slavery does to the soul. It chains your faith to the limitations of yesterday's failures. It casts tomorrow's dreams and God's promises as unreachable impossibilities. Slavery always says you can't. Slavery always says you are less than. But you need to understand this. You are not a slave. You are not a slave. And no matter what has come, no matter what your past says, no matter who has spoken whatever curses they've spoken over your life, you are more than what they've said. This is, I want you to hear me clearly, this is Satan's curriculum. If there is a core curriculum that hell promotes, it is this. Because the first echoes of this demonic Education is from the very beginning of time. Think about this. Adam falls into sin. They run for the trees. And God is out. It says he's calling for man in the garden. And when Adam finally comes out, he says, I didn't come because I was naked. And get what God says. God said in Genesis 3.11, he said, who told you? That you were naked. That is what the enemy does. He comes to you. He flashes some, some shiny thing in front of you. You grab hold of it. You eat the fruit. And then the next words out of your mouth, or next words out of his mouth are, I can't believe you did that. You ate the fruit, and look at you now. You're naked. You feel condemned. You feel ashamed. You feel like you have no hope. And you run for trees. But the reality is, that is, folks, the education that Satan wants us to have. He wants us to always hear only what it is that you lack. You're naked. You don't have any clothes. Well, honey, before you took the fruit, you didn't need any clothes. Satan always wants to point out what you're not. 
God is always saying, you are enough. God wants you to understand today that he is the one who rescued you by the power of his spirit. He's the one who bought you with the blood of his sacrifice. He's the one that saw such value in you that he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross so that you could find out who you really are. You can hear the doctrines of this, of this idea in the taunts of Pharaoh. You can hear it in the voice of Goliath as he defies God and his armies. You can hear it in the voices of the ten spies who said that they were grasshoppers. And you can hear it in Israel's yearning for Egypt, the comfort of onions and leeks. In the midst of of a wilderness as we journey to promised land. You see, folks, we learned our slavery in our Egypts. We learned it in the land of our captivity before Jesus found us. But he found us. But he, has anybody been found? Does anybody remember who you were? Do you remember where God rescued you from? Do you remember what it was like to go out on Friday night and party until you couldn't see straight and get thrown out of bars with your shirts ripped off and crazy stuff, getting into fights, getting into trouble. Does anybody remember where you come from? But that is not who you are today. This place, this is the place. Our Egypt, wherever you come from, your Egypt is the very place that Jesus came to set us free from. But I, I want you to hear me very clearly. I want you to hear me very clearly on this point. It is also the place that Satan always wants to bring you back to. Because this is his chief concern. Satan's biggest job is to keep you blind to the freedom you've been given. His chief concern is to keep God's people with a veil over their eyes so that they cannot see. Because if they begin to understand that they are heirs to the promise, then they will no longer be slaves. They will no longer be able to be controlled by him and his little impulses, his little dangly, shiny things that he distracts us by that causes us to go off course. He won't be able to do that anymore. The moment you begin to understand, you are not a slave. You are a child of the king. And what strikes fear in his heart more than any other thing is that if you begin to understand that you are a child of promise, then there is nothing that can hold you out of the promised land that God's called you to. Nothing. If you begin to understand that you can take the land, then you become like Joshua and Caleb go, I know they're big. I know they're ugly. I know they got big old swords and spears and shields. But I know this. I know the God that's with us is bigger than any enemy that can be formed against us. And that the Lord promised Abraham that we would possess the gates of our enemies. This is who we are. 
And it is spiritual. It is a spiritual thing. God wants you to conceive in your spirit that you are more than you think you are. You are more than the words of your past. You are more than the words of a father, of a mother, of an uncle or aunt, of a teacher, of a classmate, or even of yourself. You are more than those things. Not because you're so amazing and so awesome and so wonderful, but because he is. And that he rescued us from darkness and brought us into his light. He rescued rescued us. (laughs) He rescued us. And we are free. We're free. We're free. We're free. We're free. What does God say? I want to just read just a little bit. I'm just going to give you a few scriptures. Because no matter what anybody else has said about you, even if that person was you, it is what God says about you that is true. I want you to hear that. No matter what anybody has ever said against you, said about you, spoken curse over you, you're worthless, you'll never be anything, You're just like your father. You're nothing but a loser. Anybody hear any of these things ever? I know that you have. No matter who has ever said anything over you, it doesn't matter. Because all that matters is what God says about you. Because what God says about you is true. I want you to hear me. This is what God says about you. This is what God says about you. Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are the workmanship of God. That He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Romans 8.11, or 8.1, excuse me, says that I am free from condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 28 says, I am assured that God works for my good in all and every circumstance. And I know this is the verse, and I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 1 John 5, 18 says that I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. We know that anyone who is born of God does not continue to sin and the one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot have them. Romans 8, 31 says that God is for me. He's on my side. He's for you folks. He's on your side. What then? Shall we say in response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 35 through 39 says that we are free from any condemnation brought against us and that we cannot be separated from the love of God. Verse 35 says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 1.12 says that we are God's children. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You have the right, people. You have the right to be children of God. And finally, Galatians 4 and 7 says that we are children. We are not slaves. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The band's going to come. The rest of the story, folks, is this. Remember I talked about in the beginning the segalit words? What's cool about the segalit words is God did not leave us with just words about our brokenness, about our oppression. He gave, along with those words that described the tyranny of sin and the oppression of people, he also gave us other words, words that brought us the revelation of who we are to him, words that covered our nakedness like garments, because we didn't need garments when we were naked. (laughs) Words that expressed God's faithful to us like loyalty and devotion. And above all, the word we needed least in the garden, but needed most in the world. He gave us the word that made us right with him when he gave us the word righteousness, which was purchased by his blood. I want you to know this. You were never meant to know the pain of Egypt and the things that you learned there. You were never meant to go through some of the things you've went through. God didn't intend you to be divorced. God didn't intend for your children to leave you. Brokenhearted. Destitute. God didn't intend for you to be abused as a child. Or to be spoken evil against. God didn't intend any of those things. But I want you to hear me today. Those are the words that have been spoken over you. Words that have promoted your captivity and kept you secure in your slavery. But God wants you to know. He wants you to learn the other words. He wants you to learn and receive and accept who you really are as his child. 
God wants you to know that you're his. You're his baby. You're his little girl. You're his boy. He loves you. He accepts you. You're his to the day you die. And because you're his, are no longer a slave but a son and if a son an heir through God isn't it time for you to get past the things that have held you back all your life isn't it time to step out of the shadows of intimidation and to break the bonds of the things that have held you back from becoming all that God created you to be. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. When you believe the lie, it limits the flow of promise on your life because you can't receive it because you don't think you're worthy. You don't think you're worthy. But Jesus made you worthy. He made you worthy. And today, He wants to set you free. The last thing I feel to read you is this. Jesus said this. Now a slave set you free. You are free indeed. Does anybody want to be free today? There's so much that, that we need to deal with right now. And you know exactly what your story is. You know the words that have been spoken over you. You know the things that have held you back and insecurities and fears. But right now, what I want you to do is I want you to gather all of those things. I want you to gather them up in your mind. And I want you to gather them up and I want you to put them in your hand. Put them in your hand and put your hand out in front of you like this. Put them in there. God knows exactly what they are. Put them in your hand. slave you called me your child and I ask you right now to take these things from me take them from me while you're sitting there I want to just pray for you Holy Spirit just come come into this room in the power of your presence. You see all the packages, all of our shame packages in our hands, Lord God. They're the things that make us scared. They're the things that let us believe that we're less than you say we are. But right now, 
I ask you as your servant to just come and take these packages away from us and in their place put Lord God promise let the freedom of our our identity in you our, our sonship our daughtership our child our position as your child let that just come to us right now I declare your freedom. I literally break by the power of the Spirit of living God. In the name of Jesus, I break right now across this room. All of the chains, all of the bondage that those packages represent, I loose you and I set you free. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I declare, I declare simply this over you that you are a child of the king and therefore you are an heir to all of his promises in Jesus name I seal your true identity over you may you never be the same again in Jesus name